Warren Morris. It's a deep drive down the right field line. That ball is gone! LSU wins the College World Series on a home run by Morris. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the 60 Feet 6 Inches podcast. I'm here live in Omaha. I want to get a very quick uh, review podcast of the LSU versus Wake Forest game before I head off to the airport and uh, I leave the mecca of college baseball that is Omaha, Nebraska in the College World Series. So as y'all know by now, so this version will be in uh, podcast form only. So this episode, just in podcast, I'm not going to have time to upload it to YouTube, but I want to get something very quickly out there. As you can hear, I'm hoarse from yelling at the game last night. But as y'all know by now, uh, the YouTube page, 60 Feet 6 Inches LSU Pod, like, subscribe, comment. You can check me out on Twitter. The handle is at 60FT6INLSUPod. I'll try and get some thoughts out there on Twitter today. Um, and I went a little quiet while I was in Omaha. I just I was here with my son and uh, two other friends, and I just wanted to take a chance to enjoy the experience. I put out there some stuff, but um, had a great time. So first off, let me say, if you ever have a chance to come here, I haven't been here since I played, so you're looking at 24 years. This is a great place to bring a family or to bring your son or for anybody that loves college baseball, really. Um, the field is spectacular. I love the seats. I love the atmosphere. Um, I sat down the left field line against the Tennessee game. I sat down the right field line in the LSU versus Wake game, and uh, I thought it was awesome. The weather has been amazing. We went to the Tennessee-Stanford game yesterday. It was hot, very hot. So came away with a little bit of a sunburn, but the baseball village is fantastic. Parents, you will drop a lot of coin in there if you have a kid that plays baseball. They have a ton of stuff in there, a ton of gloves and bats and just a bunch of gear. And um, obviously the bar scene and the LSU, what LSU brings to the table has been second to none. So we had a blast. Before I forget, I want to thank uh, Jimmy Ott and Charlie Hanegriff. They had me on their show twice while I was here. They didn't have to do that. But we were able to connect. So I've, I've loved listening to those guys forever. And um, I think they're just amazing at what they do. They know LSU sports just about as anyone out there. They can remember stuff from back when I played and before. So thank you all for having me on. I had a blast. I could talk baseball with you all all day. But just a quick shout out to both those guys. Is, um, they went out of their way to have me on, and I truly enjoyed it. So <clears throat> let's get into LSU Wake. First of all, the atmosphere was electric. You know, Wake was loud. They have a tiny crowd, but they were loud. And uh, I feel like LSU's fans were on pins and needles, didn't really know what to expect from the game. They got loud at certain times, but really not what I saw in the Tennessee game. I thought the LSU faithful was louder in Tennessee. And this one may have just been a little bit more nerves. You know, when you're coming in to face the number one team in the country, you just don't know what to expect. And um, it wasn't maybe the prettiest game, but it was still a heavyweight fight. And at the end, look, that loss hurt me just as much as anybody. I walked out the stadium. I was very dejected. I was disappointed and I uh, felt like we wouldn't slip away right there because we went toe to toe. And I think really up until the eighth inning, LSU was the better team, in my opinion. And I'm trying to be as objective as possible, but it lived up to its billing. So let's talk about the pitchers real quick. Ty Floyd, man, if you take out the last inning he pitched to sixth, that might have been that may have been his best outing in the LSU uniform ever. Even what he did at Ole Miss this year when I think he went eight and a third. And I also, I'm going, no notes, no stats. It's just going off the top here. I'm just going off the top for about the next 10 to 15 minutes. So if I get some stats wrong, just bear with me. Don't hammer me too much on Twitter. Um, I thought Floyd was fabulous. Absolutely fantastic. He was blowing fastballs 
by one of the top offenses in the country. Um, it was tough to see for I was sitting how much his breaking ball played. I know we threw some change-ups. Obviously, I'm going off the radar gun at the scoreboard. I thought Floyd was fabulous. And the only thing that really ruined that outing for him was the last inning. But if you would have told me the night before, Floyd is going to go five innings pitched, two hits, two runs, two earned, four walks, and 10 Ks against a top five offense in the country, I would have taken that every day and twice on Sunday. Do not tell me they play in a small ballpark. Yes, they play in a, a launching pad, okay? But those dudes can flat out hit, and they can do it, for, you know, They've proven that, right? They have some monsters in the middle of that lineup. And Floyd dominated the middle of that lineup. And so did Thatcher Hurd. When you look at three, four, five, so that's Wilkin, um, the first baseman, and then Johnson, um, Nick Kurtz is the first baseman. They went one for 10 with seven Ks. And Floyd was blowing fastballs past those dudes in plus counts when they knew it was coming. So his fastball was dominant, elite level stuff last night, not, last night by Ty Floyd. And um, it just, man, just sucks what happened to him in the sixth. We've seen it happen to him before. We've seen it happen to Christian Little this year to where they're cruising and they come out and they just can't throw a strike, okay? Also, I'm not going to get into the zone here at all. I couldn't see it for where I'm sitting, but I'm not going to make excuses. I'm not going to transfer a blame. Look, you're accountable as a team, as a coaching staff. They had to play with it too. I'm not going to moan about that zone, okay? So don't come here for that. But uh, <clears throat> three walks in a row, and you just knew it was trouble, okay? He just couldn't find it, right? He was just missing here, there, a little up, a little out, a little down. And it sucked because um, he was dominating those guys. But you had a feeling they were going to get a chance to draw even because if you remember, obviously LSU was up uh, 2 nothing at that point. And I'll touch on the hitters after I touch on the pitters, uh, pitchers. Excuse me. Thatcher Hurd comes in, and look, I talked about it with some buddies the night before. Uh, even Leah Van, I met her at a bar, um, saw her standing there. We talked some baseball. What happens if Floyd gets you five or six? Do you go to the lefties? Because Wake had lefties, so the lefties would play. You know, do you go to Gavin Gidry? How do you piece it together? And I thought when Jay put Hurd in the game, he pushed all of his chips to the center of the table and said, we're going to win this game tonight, and we're going to do it with our best long reliever. Because obviously, as we all know, Floyd can flex, right? Start, relieve, close, and he can extend. Excuse me, Heard. And so I thought Heard uh, struggled at the beginning, right? When you cross those white lines in Omaha for the first time, everybody's going to have butterflies, much less coming into a bases loaded, no out situation against Wake Forest, and you're up 2 nothing. So I thought he did a good job of getting out of that jam. You can get out of there with the lead or tied, and that's a, that's a win for Thatcher Heard and for Jay Johnson and the LSU Tigers. And, uh, he gives up a single to Wilkin. Then he gets a double play, which scores another run. Then he works himself into some trouble, but then he gets out of the jam. On the night, Hurd goes three innings pitch, three hits, one run, one earn, three walks, five Ks. He struggled when he came out again in the seventh inning. Um, and then, uh, you know, in the eighth, when Wake Forest draws even, he gets an out, then he faces Corona, who was the hero of Wake Forest Regionals. I think he was the most outstanding player of the Regionals. And, um, look, Corona had been bad all night. I went back and watched the highlights. The dude couldn't sniff a fastball. And in that at-bat, Floyd blow, I mean, excuse me, Heard blows two fastballs by Corona. Like, the dude didn't even have a chance. He was pulling off. He was way behind it. Okay, he just couldn't catch up to it. And for whatever reason, they call a breaking ball. Obviously. 
Hurd didn't mean to hang the breaking ball, but it was an absolute 0-2 hanging breaking ball in the center of the plate. You basically sped Corona's bat up as you allow him to catch up to the breaking ball. He hits a double down the line. And then the same thing when Bennett Lee came up. Floyd, I mean, excuse me, I don't know why I keep saying that. Hurd hangs another breaking ball, and Lee drives it through the six hole to uh, score Corona. And it's a wrap as LSU can't get anything going against uh, Wake Forest's outstanding closer, Minacci. That guy is a dude, right? He's got 14 saves now in the year. He runs it up to 97. But um, the Wake Forest pitching staff was everything I thought they would be. You know, Hartle doesn't have dominant stuff, but his breaking ball is dominant. Going back to watch the highlights, you know, the majority of LSU's hitters just couldn't get it done against his breaking ball. And I thought they were going to have to get that ball up in the zone, and he really didn't leave it up in the zone. And um, that hit thing had some nice – it was like a slider or a little bit of a cutter. Had some nice action to it. Then they rolled out. Uh, Roland came in for a little while. Then Massey, the two-lane transfer, he didn't last very long. He got out of a jam as he gets Tommy White to ground out. But that ball hit off his glove. So you wonder if it doesn't hit off his glove, if it's, it's a single up the middle. But then Minacci came in, and he shut the door on LSU. <clears throat> I just – I thought the pitching was, you know – if you're going to tell me you're going to give up three runs to Wake Forest, I would have taken that all day. I thought the bats would have done a little bit better. So let's move it. And I, really quick on Hurd and that 0-2 pitch, I was taught a long time ago it's not always necessarily the pitch call, it's the location. So look, could you get a strikeout of Corona if um, Hurd bounces that curveball or he gets it down in the dirt, maybe up underneath his hands possibly, and maybe Wes Johnson just wanted to show him something different out of the zone and then come back with a fastball to get the K. But unfortunately, um, Hurd couldn't execute that pitch, and it came back to bite him, really. Two hanging breaking balls are kind of the story of the game in the eighth as you give up the lead right there to Corona and Lee. Moving on to LSU's hitters, um, it was ugly, you know, but Wake Forest was ugly too, right? Each team got five hits on the night. Um, Thompson, really rough night. He goes 0 for 4 with 4Ks, which is extremely rare. Uh, Pearson, 0 for 3 with 2Ks. Um, Joe Bear struggled a lot, so seven, eight, nine in the bottom of that order really scuffled. Cruz looked like um, he wasn't picking up the ball well from Hartle at all. As he goes 0 for 3 with two Ks, and um, really the only people that got hits right that saw the ball well was Trey Morgan. He goes two for four. Tommy White swung the bat really well last night. He goes two for four, and then Beloso had a hit as well. So LSU scores two in the third. On a Pearson walk, then you get a little two-out magic. As Pearson advances with a great read on a ball in the dirt, he gets to second base, and Tommy White uh, bloops a single into left field to score Pearson. And then you have the Morgan Sun triple. So LSU gets a little bit of luck as Cesare loses that ball in the sun. The dude's got sunglasses on his hat. I mean, I don't know what the hell you're thinking. Parents, if your kids are wearing sun, if it's sunny and they're wearing sunglasses on their hat, that's on you and that's on them. I mean, put the sun, like, take the cool factor out of it put the sunglasses down as Morgan was the victim, uh, excuse me, was the beneficiary of a little bit of luck, gets a triple, scores white, LSU's up 2-0. Um, they don't score again in, really until the eighth. You know, Wake ties it up 2-2. Uh, excuse me, LSU doesn't score. I apologize. Wake ties it up 2-2 two two on the back of those walks, which I mentioned earlier. But in, in the eighth, you know, I really thought LSU was kind of going to get to Hartle because Wake Forest really doesn't allow their pitchers to go over 100 pitches. You saw it in game one. Rhett Lauder, I, th I think, threw 101 pitches. That's like a hard stop for those guys, no matter what. 
So I was pumped when uh, Hartle's pitch uh, count was around 70-ish in the fourth, but he was able to have some quick innings, have some quick strikeouts to get into the sixth. And um, hats off to that young man as he was everything he lived up for uh, the billing to. Uh, he is now Wake Forest's season uh, all-time season strikeout leader. So the most strikeouts in a year by Wake Forest pitcher, and he got that last night. So let's talk about the eighth from the LSU pr perspective, right? It's two to two heading into the eighth. Morgan leads off with a double. Uh, Travinsky puts the ball in play. You get an error on the second baseman. So you have first and third, nobody out. And I'm sitting in the stands, and I really felt like LSU was about to break it open. I thought they were about to get two runs and put this sucker away. Beloso comes up, and you've seen a lot of teams put the massive shift on for Beloso to where they really don't have anybody standing on the left side of the infield. But obviously with Trey Morgan at third base, Brock Wilkin, the third baseman, was relatively close. He was still shaded a little bit in the sixth hole. A lot of second guessing, right? Should you have put in the Polt to bunt? And the Polt's been so-so on that this year. He hasn't been great, okay? That way he would have taken over Beloso's spot as a DH. I know he would have come in. He usually comes in for Dugas as a late inning sub. So maybe that's not why uh, Jay decided to do that. Um, obviously, if you put in Kling there to take over the DH spot to bunt, he's not a great bunter either. He can do it. But uh, then he, you know, you lose him in the outfield if you want to put him in for um, Joe Bear in left field, which they typically do in the ninth. So you leave Beloso in. I had no problem with that, right? You, you trust Beloso. He's a senior. Um, he had a single before, so he's been seeing the ball pretty well. And so Beloso caps a ball. He hits it off the end of the bat. Morgan goes on contact. I have no problem with that. A lot of times, look, they're going to go on contact, you know, if the infield is not playing in. So if the infield's playing in, they're going to say, Trey, you got to see the ball through the infield before you run. Okay. So he went on contact. Wilkin, y'all should go back and watch the highlights. Wilkin can't get the ball out of his glove. And I thought he threw it um, kind of on the infield side of Trey Morgan as Trey Morgan is running from third to home. But when you go back and watch, Wilkin actually throws the ball on the dugout side of Trey Morgan. So on the right side of Trey Morgan, the ball literally short hops in front of Trey. The catcher picks it as Trey is running, and then he applies the tag. So a phenomenal play, and I'm going to be 100% honest. If you simulated that play 10 out of 10 times, he may make it once, and he made it once last night. I mean, think about what's to happen. One, he almost hit Trey Morgan, okay? Two, the odds of Bennett Lee scooping it are tough because it's almost like a blind scoop, right? Because Morgan is uh, getting in the way of his scoop. And then finally for him to apply the tag, and it was kind of an awkward slide by Trey. I think he was trying to block Bennett Lee's view. And um, he just couldn't get his hand down in time as uh, he was called out. So you have first and second. And then right away, Gavin Dugas hits the ball pretty hard to Wilkin. They turn a double play, inning over. So I don't have a problem with them bunt not bunting. Uh, I don't have a problem with Trey Morgan running on that. And you just got to tip your cap to those two guys from Wake because that was – I mean, they probably can't even make that play screwing around uh, with, without a runner, right? Without a runner, they probably make that play three times. The fact that he was able to get it out of um, his um, – sorry about that, housekeeping. So I'm filming this literally 
as they want me out of the room. But just hats off to them, and I don't have a problem with anything that went down. It just sucked as uh, LSU just couldn't get it done. Last thing I want to touch on before I end the podcast. First batter of the ninth, Minachi's in the close. Joe Bear leads off. He goes ball, ball. I don't know if Jay Johnson has a take to you, get a strike on, sign. Uh, Skip did, right? So I would imagine Skip would have had Joe Bear take until he got a strike. Minachi throws a curveball in the dirt. Joe Bear swings. I'm not blaming the kid. He's just trying to probably be aggressive. He probably assumed the fastball was coming there 2-0. Why wouldn't you? You know, Wake Forest doesn't want to put the leadoff runner on. So he assumed the fastball was coming, and he took a rip at it, okay? But after that pitch, Minachi relaxed, and the inning was a wrap. That changed – didn't change the complexion of the game. It changed the complexion of that inning and that at bat. Because after that, he goes strike, strike, as Joe Bear strikes out looking. Um, Thompson comes up, no shot. Pearson comes up, no shot. That's a wrap, okay? So – it's just interesting. You know, I wonder if he had it, what the plan is, what Jay told him going up to the play. Look, I'm not going to dog on Joe Bear because he was the guy that won the game for us against Tennessee. The dude hits a double, triple, and a home run. Okay, he almost hits for the cycle. So, but it just sucks because you wonder if he takes that pitch, obviously it's 3-0. Nobody knows what's going to happen. I don't know if he gets on base. I don't know if LSU ties the game up. But you can see right there in the stands, I'm sure, and on TV, Minachi's body language probably completely changed. He's like, okay, he can relax. Here we go. Strike, strike. And then obviously LSU gets nothing done in the ninth. So real quick about Tennessee. Look, I don't know what's going to happen. LSU's going to have to face Drew Beam. I don't have the stats, but LSU hit Drew Beam pretty well in that Sunday game, even though LSU, uh, Tennessee ran away with it after dropping the first two. Uh, that was a Saturday game, excuse me. Um, LSU is going to have to dig deep right here. You know, it's tough. They're going to have to pick themselves up off the mat. Thank God they play the 6 o'clock game so they have enough time to get their head right. Um, and they're just going to have to, you know, get some energy, get pissed off, realize their season's on the line. Seniors are going to realize this is their last chance to play in an LSU uniform. So um, I guess they're going to go with Cooper. And, look, you're going to have to string this thing together. All you got to do is just try to win one game. And I would imagine Vitello is going to roll beam out there as long as possible. If he gives up two, three, four runs, as long as he's keeping them in the game, he's going to try to lean on lean on Beam as much as possible. And Beam is the real dude. Like, he doesn't strike out nearly as many people as Dolander and Burns, but he can absolutely pitch. And I'm sure Tennessee is going to be brimming with a lot of confidence. It uh, looks like LSU, I think, is the visiting team for this game. So hopefully these guys have enough time to uh, put that game in the rearview mirror to flush it, pick themselves up, up off the mat. You know, Jay Johnson's talked about how his team has won several games in a row at the College World Series before. So he's the right guy to get him through this. But from a pitching perspective, man, you're going to have to have some guys, Cooper, Ackenhausen, Money, uh, Herring as a freshman, welcome to the College World Series. You know, maybe even Little, guys that haven't pitched in a long time, they are really going to have to get you some outs today as you just try to piece this sucker together to make it to the next day where you got to beat Wake Forest two days in a row. So LSU is going to have to win three games in a row three days in a row. A tall task, but I'm backing the Tigers to do it. It's going to be tough, but uh, these guys have shown a ton of grit throughout the year, and so um, they get a chance to prove themselves right here. Thank you all for tuning in. As I told you, it'd be a very short one. Hopefully, you get a chance to check it out before the game if you're walking around Omaha, if you're making the drive home, making the drive up here. So as always, you know, uh, like, subscribe, comment to the YouTube channel. I'm not sure what's next. You know, I got to go on a business trip. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to put out another podcast, but maybe I can do a quick review um, while I'm in the hotel on my business trip. But uh, loved Omaha. 
I stayed right across the street from the stadium. It was absolutely phenomenal. Phenomenal. Excuse me. But um, can't wait to see the Tigers play again tonight. So as always, y'all stay safe and go Tigers.